Parks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This food industry-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to help keep you up to date. This week on the show, we are discussing the JBS cyber attack and RX Bar, a plant-based protein bar. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the X Talks Food Podcast. I'm Sydney Perlmutter, food industry journalist and webinar moderator at xtalks.com, and this week I'm joined by Aisha Rashid and Mira Nabulsi. Thanks for coming today. So I'm going to start us off with a story about, you know, something I haven't really talked about in the past, and it's not talked too much about in the food industry, but cyber attacks uh, on food companies. And the latest cyber attack uh, was actually on JBS, which is the world's largest meat producer. So last weekend, they were targeted by a very sophisticated cyber attack. So essentially, that just means that the company's networks were hacked, and it disrupted the production um, in the US, Canada, and Australia. And as more news came out, um, you know, after investigating, JBS believes that a Russian criminal organization was responsible for the ransomware attack. So as I was looking into this, I was wondering how did such a large company, um, you know, how did this happen to them? Uh, But it turns out, you know, no company is really immune from, from this type of attack. So this, uh, the cyber attack was first discovered on May 30th, and it is the latest in a string of attacks against major companies with actually pretty important roles in the economy. So another one that happened a few weeks earlier was on Colonial Pipeline, which is America's largest fuel pipeline. And they actually had to halt fuel delivery for a few days in the southeastern part of the country. So you may have seen, uh, you know, gas prices rising or, you know, gas stations completely running out of gas. And I think that the Colonial Pipeline attack was uh, in part to blame for this. And this attack was also carried out by a Russian hacking group called Darkside, and they actually walked away with nearly $5 million in ransom. So if you're not sure what a ransomware attack is, essentially uh, a victim's files are just encrypted and the attacker typically demands a ransom to restore access to the ta- to the data upon payment. So in this case, JBS was likely given some sort of instructions for how to pay a fee uh, in order to get the decryption key. Uh, but JBS and other meat processing companies rely on uh, software and IT systems for sorting and tracing and record keeping to meet these regulatory standards. So currently, the White House is actually looking into this and they're investigating with the Russian government to get to the bottom of this and see who was actually responsible for this ransomware attack. But despite JBS's foothold in the meat market as, uh, you know, given its size and as an international corporation, um, a former former U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency uh, director, Christopher Krebs, he said that no one is safe from cyber attacks like this. And he said everyone is in play and vulnerable to this kind of international criminal hacking, uh, which is causing havoc through attacks on U.S. government systems. 
So as for where the attack left JBS, the company said in a statement last week that it took immediate action by suspending all affected systems, notifying authorities, and activating its global network of IT professionals uh, to resolve the situation. Uh, the company said that their backup servers weren't affected and JBS is actively working with an incident response firm to restore its systems as quickly as possible. But unfortunately, despite its efforts, the attack kind of took an immediate toll on the company's operation. It had to shut down all of its digital record keeping and JBS was unable to process uh, slaughtered carcasses and was forced to turn to pen and paper documentation. And you can imagine, you know, how labor intensive that would be since they're always relying on computers for that type of, uh, you know, documentation. And even some plants were forced to shut down entirely, um, including one in Texas and a lot of shift workers at another company, uh, at another um, slaughterhouse in Colorado. Um, a lot of the shifts were canceled there. So many of these carcasses, uh, they were described as stranded or high-value Wagyu um, that are being serviced um, for supply chains. But the attack can also may also have an impact on meat destined for customers, so a little less um, expensive, but still definitely cost the company a lot of money. Um, and you know, attacks like these kind of highlight the vulnerabilities of um, supply chains as a whole, especially after COVID. Um, and I think COVID has actually helped to underscore the importance of, you know, having a backup plan in situations like this. But I kind of just wanted to get your perspective on cyber attacks as a whole. And did you did you know how uh, vastly they could impact the, the food industry? No, honestly, I never even thought about that, um, their effect on the food industry. So this is very, very interesting to me. Yeah, same. I had no idea such a thing could occur, but there's no reason why it wouldn't occur as we've yeah, exactly. we're seeing now because like you know so many manufacturing processes are entirely like you know based on technology and digital systems now right so and you know data stored on cloud and things like that so we hear about you know privacy issues with like data leaks from like private citizens but when you're talking about stuff like at this scale like that is intense um and yeah, you hear about these Russian hackers all the time, like getting into like, you know, politics and the US government and Capitol Hill. But yeah, but, you know, their ability to actually hack like important like systems like food and like so many other things then like that's crazy and kind of scary as well. Right. And and it seems in this case, it, it wasn't for any sort of political motive aside from just getting getting money out of it, right? Because as sophisticated as these IT systems are, hackers are just as sophisticated, if not more, and have kind of cracked the code and figured this out. So I think this is kind of a big wake-up call um, for JBS and, and other um, food and beverage companies to just realize, like, no one is immune from this, um, and they really have to be careful, Um but I, I don't think at this point they had to pay them. I don't think they actually got away with it, but they definitely tried. And it really affected their production, too. This Is this the first food company that got hacked like this? 
I don't think I don't think it is. Um, I I I actually um, I I talked about Colonial Pipeline. I know that's not a food company, but that was just the the most recent one before it. But I'm I'm almost positive other food companies have have been attacked. Probably the larger ones, and I think maybe JBS was was targeted in this case because it's the world's largest meat producer. Yeah. And I you know there's a lot of money. Um, it's definitely uh, you know a, a wealthy company, and you know. I think they also target companies that have like worldwide distribution um, because that has like, there's more at stake there, right? When, when they are, tr- when, when production is being disrupted to that level, I think there's more of an incentive to just pay them off and forget about it. Um, so I, I can definitely see this having happened to, to other big uh, food companies as well. Yeah. Wow. That, that's kind of like, um, Yeah, like it's scary to think that, okay, you know, these people, these ransomware attacks, like they're mainly after like money, right? But what if you have hackers working for other organizations that have like other evil like plans, you know, like, I don't know, world domination or (laughs) something like crazy, um, yeah, like political or, or just like causing harm to, to countries or people like that's, that's really scary. Like the kind of the power that can be um, wielded with uh, like these hacking systems, these ha- people who are mm-hmm. expert hackers and stuff like that. Yeah. It's interesting. It's like almost like digital blackmail in a way, ransom as it's called. But in this case, it's not like they had any sort of secrets on the company that they were going to expose. It's really all about just honing in on that hacking technology, like the cyber attacks. That's really all it is. You don't need a reason to attack a company anymore. You can literally just do it, demand money. And like Colonial Pipeline, they just paid them off because it was because it was easier in that case. Um, but I, yeah, like I said, I don't think JBS uh, ended up paying them off because the, you know, the White House got involved and was investigating. But yeah, it, it is very scary. Um, and, you know, as good as technology is for the, the food industry and supply chains, it can also do a lot of harm. So I think this story like really highlights that. Um, and I hope it'll make other companies aware that they're not immune as well. Yeah. So like um, with respect to that, how can companies protect themselves better? Like having cybersecurity teams and like, I guess, beefing up that aspect. Um. Yeah, that's that's a good question. I think I think, uh, yeah, that kind of remains to be seen. I'll, I'll probably want to follow up with this story to see what JBS ends up doing and, and how they'll try to prevent this again. Um because you, you also don't want to be too alarmist either. You don't want to scare people into thinking your company is going to get hacked no matter what you do. There are ways around this for sure. Um, but yeah, I think cybersecurity, like you said, is is, is the major thing. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know too much about the, the technical aspects of this. Um, but yeah, that's a really good question. It kind of reminds me of like the whole like toilet paper shortage that was going on during the (laughs) beginning of the pandemic and no one really knew why. Um, But that was kind of linked to like Australia having like a legit problem because they got toilet paper manufactured from China. But then that just like became like a global thing or a North American thing at least. But, you know, I wonder like if a cyber attack could like, you know, unleash the same kind of like panic and, 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 and things, especially with like 
food and stuff. Right? It absolutely can. Yeah, I think it can because if if this problem wasn't resolved within you know a short period of time and if it was ongoing, then it would definitely have an impact on consumers because they had to stop production um, because it's really hard for them to record keep you know, with pen and paper, like there's way too big of a corporation um, to be able to do that effectively and for a long time. So yeah, you're, you're definitely right about that. Reminds yeah, me of that as well. I was also going to say this is scary for the general public also because you can see how close it is to affecting the supply chain, right? So it affects a lot more than just, you know, a simple cyber attack. It's literally like affecting the entire food chain, which ultimately will affect the feeding population so it's very it's very worrisome i think companies need to come up with better um firewalls and things like that to eliminate the hackers from entering their systems and databases mm-hmm. yeah i think this story really put it into perspective because like you know you just hear about like um hackers like i mentioned like you know getting into government files or getting into like yeah people, exactly you know just like data like but here, like you have supply chains and, you know, people and uh, countries and cities dependent on like something as vital as food and that getting affected that that could just be like, like drastic and devastating. So and maybe that toilet paper thing was linked to some kind of a hack. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I, I think in that that was more of like a uh issue of demand, uh, high demand, lower supply. <laughs> Yeah, but then why was that? Was the supply really low or what? I don't know. What I was told is that toilet paper um, is very large to house. And um, I think that played a part in um, the supply. Like it, I I, I don't know. (laughs) I'm not, I don't quite remember, but I hope it never happens again. Yeah. Uh, But with that, I'll, I'll pass it over to you, Mira. Thanks, Sydney. So this week, I'd like to talk about uh, RX Bar's first ever plant-based protein bar. So traditionally, RX Bar uses egg whites as its main source of protein. But with the plant-based product, the company is replacing the signature ingredient with 10 grams of plant-based proteins. Um, RX RX Bar Plant has a new recipe, taste, and texture, which is available in two flavors, uh, chocolate chip and peanut butter. Both bars are made with five ingredients, dates and nuts, oats, and a blend of pea and almond protein. The product has zero grams of added sugar, but has a soft and chewy texture because of the added gluten-free oats that give this bar a competitive edge. So the company stated that because of the massive shift towards plant-based eating, RX Bar wanted to support its fans by moving in the same direction and allowing plant-based consumers looking for a new product to join the RX Bar fan base. Other competitive competitors in this market include Larbar, um, Kind, Simply Protein, Vega, and more. So a lot of big companies have already become popular in this category. The vegan protein bar market is expected to reach $253 million by 2026 at a compound annual growth rate of 9% from uh, 2019 to 2026. The non-plant-based protein bars market is somewhat crowded as it was at as it was valued at 4.66 billion in 2019. But by entering 
the plant-based protein market now, RxBar is definitely moving in the right direction. They said that today we answered that call with a plant-based protein bar that delivers on both quality and taste, both essential to us in the development of RxBar plant, and that's why it's been nearly two years in the making to make sure that we, re- we did the right thing. So additionally, the company is introducing a summer program that will be available on Instagram and IGTV to help, in quotations, plant good habits. <laughs> the program uh, is called RX our exercise so rx and then exercise the company will provide viewers with daily wellness practices tips and educational sessions so this company unlike others um is known for its egg white for its five core ingredients uh, one of them being egg whites and uh, the company actually did a voluntary recall in 2019 which you know made them have quite a bit of losses but then they turned those losses into 600 million dollars in sales so it's a very impressive company Um, in other words uh, they create products targeted at specific consumers and audiences so I was wondering what your thoughts are on them entering the plant-based market now do you think it's too late do you think it's the perfect time what are your thoughts on that Okay, what I was going to say was, um, like, there's got to be a lot of other, you know, there's got to be a lot of other competitors, but I'm trying to think, and, like, it's, it's, it is a very niche market, like you were saying, a, pro- a vegan protein bar, right, or plant-based protein bar, and I'm sure there are a lot of other, like, granola bars and various other bars um, that are vegan, but I think since this one is is supposed to be functional and plant-based, it's definitely like in that niche area. Um, So I think the timing is great. And I'm actually surprised they didn't do it sooner, um, to be honest, because plant-based eating has been, you know, trending for a few years now. Um, But I think they'll definitely have success with this. And I'd be curious to know if, you know, the foundation of the of the bar itself is any different without egg whites. Um, Do you know if um, if it kind of like resembles their uh, egg white bar or if it's got a bit of a different consistency, maybe? Um, Yeah, so even though the company is known for their egg whites protein bars, they say that here they use a blend of pea and almond protein that provides the essential amino acids or building blocks of protein that our bodies need to build muscle, um, making it a great on-the-go fuel for anyone allowing uh, more plant forward diet. So in terms of replacing it directly, I think they are using kind of the same idea behind egg whites in this bar, just using Uh, pea and almond protein instead. Yeah, and I'm also wondering if, uh, you know, there are any plant-based eaters who always looked at them and were like, oh, I wish I could have those. They look so good. Uh, And now they can. So I definitely see why they're doing this. Um, I've never personally had an RX bar before. Have you had one? No, but I do have friends that really do enjoy them. Um, I'm not a huge fan of protein bars just because of the (laughs) intensity of flavor, but um, they are... They are quite popular. I see them all the time in supermarkets and things like that. And I think their selling point really is how transparent they are. They literally write on their packaging, like, no BS, and they list out their five core ingredients. So it's 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 uh, it's a cool company for sure. And I think they are entering such a crowded market. And they are already competitors in the non-plant-based protein, 
non-plant-based protein bar industry. So them entering the plant-based is just going to be them directly competing with those companies that have already established their name uh, in the plant-based industry, such as Larbars and Vega, um, Mm -hmm. which are huge companies in in this category. It's very cool. Like I'm not too familiar with protein bars or protein shakes because I am not a gym or fitness enthusiast. But um, yeah, like I, I, I can certainly see there being a niche for this because these are vegan. Like I didn't realize like the protein bars actually had egg based were egg based formulations and things like that. So that's how naive I am about this whole space. <laughs> um, so yeah, I can definitely see that catering and appealing to to vegans. So I think, um, yeah, I, I'm surprised and didn't come sooner kind of a thing. But yeah, it looks good. Five core ingredients, no BS. I guess you can't go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, that transparency too, I think will win over Mm -hmm. a lot of people. Um, They won't even have to turn over the bar to see the ingredients on the back. Like they're all there, which I really, really like um, and appreciate. Mm. Um, But I also wonder, the the target audience, um, you know, plant-based eaters who want more protein, I feel like a lot of those uh, consumers are very into making their own uh, food from mm. scratch and not necessarily buying like pre-packaged um, and, you know, products like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but everyone's always looking for a convenient option because who yeah. has time to make protein bars? Like I, yeah. I don't and I wouldn't. So <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. I think a lot of people do um, cherish the idea of transparency, transparency, especially with protein because – there are a lot of negative connotations with people that do take protein as supplements mm-hmm. um, for, you know, muscle building and all that kind of stuff. So I think for sure they'll cater to those people, but also people that like to cook in the kitchen also want to know exactly what they're eating. So I think this kind of hits on both of them, especially because it's such an on the go kind of snack bar or protein bar that you can have. So yeah, I think they're targeting a lot of people and not just that, they're targeting consumers that are actually fans that want protein, uh, I mean, plant-based alternatives, but also getting those other consumers that know about RX Bar that are plant-based and now they just made a whole new fan base. So I think it's a pretty smart move from their end to go plant-based, even though they, they're they known for their egg white signature t- like um, ingredient. Um, but yeah. And also, um, I think plant-based foods as a whole kind of, um, they get a, a negative uh like plant-based meat especially, mm. because if you flip over that packaging, sometimes you'll find like 25, 30 ingredients and we don't know what yeah. they are. So I think um, the simpler, the better in this case. Uh, I'd feel really good about eating that. And I definitely don't think I'm alone in that. So I agree. They, nope, I'm with yeah. you on that. I definitely would try these bars, even though I've never had their um, traditional egg white bars at all. But uh, I'm intrigued. And yeah, like... Actually, come to think of it, like, I think I had, like, a protein shake once. Like, I don't know. Somebody got it for me. I'm just, like, I had skipped a meal. I was like, here, I have this. And then I flipped it over. I'm like, what? Like, I, like I, I'm, you know, used to working with, like, 
weird chemicals in the lab previously, but I'm like, I have, I have no idea what all this is. So I was like, yeah, but this is great. And also like in terms of like the simple ingredients thing, like I think I mentioned this before, but I think it's a growing trend. I'm seeing this like on a lot of, in a lot of different um, areas, like even like, you know, typical looking breads at the supermarket. Like it's like, oh, we only use simple ingredients and that you can pronounce and things like that. So I think that's also tying in with that whole trend trend by having like the five core ingredients. So I think that's that's cool. I wonder how they make them soft and chewy though. Um well in this case they use oats um to oh. give them that texture. So um and like Dates too, maybe. Yeah, dates. Yeah. Okay. So dates, oats, nuts, nuts. and pea and yeah. plant. Yeah. And a blend of pea and almond protein. Yeah. I think the dates is the key, though, to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like that sweetness. And yeah. One yeah. thing I was thinking of is I don't know what pea protein looks like. I don't know mm. what that is. Um, That's so, so true. Actually. You know, like what is that actually? Like, just like, I'm assuming it's derived from peas, um, and peas are like I love peas, but I, I know yeah, it wouldn't taste great. like peas. Yeah, of course. And they only take the protein component of it. For some reason, I just thought it's like a pea powder. <laughs> like they just dry out peas and then crush <laughs> it's it. Green. But it's just pea protein. So yeah, it is. It is all derived from peas, and it can be found in a powder. Um, to be used in smoothies and things like that, which is what most companies do do, and almond protein also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Huh. Interesting. All right. Well, that's the end of this episode of the X Talks Food Podcast. If you like today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, everyone, and see you next week. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the X Talks Food Industry Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find Xtalks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalk.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.